Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Today's episode of the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. You know, a new set of windows or a new door can do a lot of things for you. It can totally change the look or the feeling or the vibe of your home. Plus, it can add value to your home and make your home more energy efficient. Pella checks all those boxes and then some. Pella can provide window and door solutions to any home and work with the people of Pella second to none. So now is the time. Turn your window and door remodeling dreams into a reality with Pella. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And the Nick Bob Podcast is brought to you by my good friends at Runza. You know, we always talk about the greatness of the Runza sandwich, the amazing burgers, the best fries on the planet, the crinkle fries. But Runza has two of my favorite salads on the planet. All right. You got the Southwest chicken salad with the spicy ranch. Absolutely delicious. And they got the sweet berry chicken salad. You got dried cranberries popping off of fresh greens, a perfect complement of rich feta cheese and walnuts, and a creamy poppy seed dressing to top it all off. It's delicious. So get to Runza today and try a salad. Runza makes it all better. Okay, on the pod today, a very special guest, a guy that I have known for... uh, Gosh, I mean, 14 years now, 13, 14 years. I, I met ESPN College basketball analyst Jay Billis uh, before Creighton was playing Southern Illinois my senior year, and college game day was doing the game. Uh, so, you know, Reese Davis and, and Jay Billis and Aaron Andrews and the whole crew, whole crew uh, Dan Schulman, the whole crew was there. And they did a pregame there and they, they called our game and I, I, I was able to introduce myself to Jay at shoot around and, uh, you know, we exchanged contact information because I told him, Hey man, you know, I, I, I want to be a college basketball analyst. This is my dream. And he's been in touch with me ever since. Uh, the, the guy is a grade a 10 out of 10 human being. I mean, he's, he's an unbelievable guy. Anytime I've reached out to him, he's gotten back to me. I've asked for advice, guidance in this industry, whatever. I mean, he is, uh, he has always been there for me, and uh, I really, really appreciate it, man. So I, I hit him up. I said, you know, with the Final Four coming up, who better to talk to than than Jay to get his thoughts on these Final Four teams, UCLA, Gonzaga, Baylor, and Houston, get his thoughts on the matchup. And then, of course, we, uh, as we always do with Jay, we always have uh, – we get into some in-depth things regarding, you know, name, image, and likeness and a bunch of different stuff. So we tackle a, a lot of different – uh, things regarding college athletics, college basketball. This is really, 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 really good. So I think you're going to enjoy it. So let's get to it. Here's my podcast chat with ESPN college basketball analyst, Jay Billis. Enjoy. Well, he's uh, he's Jay Billis of ESPN, ESPN college basketball analyst, really one of the faces of the network and a guy that's always been great to me, kind enough to take some time. Jay, how you doing, my man? I'm doing great, Nick. How you doing? I'm doing just fine. Uh, I I'm doing a little bit better than my brackets doing. I guess how busted up is your bracket? Give me the give me like what team did you miss the most on? Illinois. Oh, I thought Illinois was uh was headed to the final four and I like their draw. Uh and then I I clearly missed on Alabama because I thought they would uh 
you know, they would certainly get past the Sweet 16. I thought it would be Alabama and Michigan in the in the uh, regional final. I did not see UCLA. I thought UCLA was going to lose to Michigan State so, in the uh, the playing game. So did I. I mean, it took them overtime, but but I didn't see them getting this far. Yeah, I uh, I think the team I had Oklahoma State get into the Final Four. I thought they were the you know you kind of got to take a wild swing. I was like, man, Cade Cunningham, the athleticism of that group, but I I, I certainly didn't see Oregon State coming either. So <laughs> you just never know what's going to happen. Yeah, this was a little bit bizarre, though. I mean, you know, there there had to be some weird things to happen for each one of those things to 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 happen for UCLA and Oregon State. I mean, Oregon State, if they don't win their conference tournament, if UCLA made a free throw at the end of regulation in the opening game of the Pac-12 tournament, this whole Oregon State thing was done right there. Right. I mean, it's really kind of amazing. Uh, and and they played very well and beat good teams. I mean, you know, beat. Uh, to beat Tennessee, but you know, Tennessee has been kind of offensively challenged from game to game throughout the year. Uh, and then Oklahoma state is kind of young in spots and, and sh- it showed up uh, against Oregon state in the tournament. Um, but you know, really surprising to see, uh, see both those teams reach a regional final UCLA and Oregon state, let alone, you know, UCLA makes the, makes the, uh, the final four. So just a bizarre happening. Yeah. Jay, you know, it's funny. So, you know, I, I, I text you to, to, to bring on to talk about the final four and, the day that we're set to record this year, we're recording this on uh, on on March 31st. Here, it's uh, it's Wednesday. The NCAA is in front of the Supreme Court for some oral arguments uh, regarding players getting paid off name, image, and likeness. So I I feel like I got to ask you a few things about it. I mean, you've you've obviously been beating this drum for a long time. I think we're in lockstep. Like, listen, it's hard to call something amateur athletics when coaches are making you know five, six, seven million dollars a year, or you know rights fees are going for a billion dollars. Some coaches like Archie Miller are getting paid ten million dollars to not coach. Um, but you know, I also think. And I think you're with me on this. Like, I, I don't want to ever paint like being on scholarship at Duke or Creighton isn't a great thing. So I always think we got to be careful with that. But I definitely am for name, image, and likeness because it just feels kind of fundamentally wrong to not be able to make money off your your name and, and, and yourself. Does it feel like an inevitability now that, that this is going to happen? The final ruling is coming in June. Name, image, and likeness rights are coming to college athletics. I think it's going to be way more than that. Uh, I think ultimately we'll get to where the players are, are paid um, uh, for for play and they'll be signed to contracts because there's there's really no excuse not to do it. Um, and, and look, I, I get it where, you know, some people hear you say, you know, talk about the economic rights of players and they say, hey, you know, I wish I had a scholarship. Well, I'm sure you wish you could have played professional golf or uh, you know, made money as a uh, professional musician. Um, there are a lot of things that people wish they could do, but uh, the truth is every every student is allowed to make as much money as they want to make. And, and it's not like athletes are the only ones that get full scholarships and stipends. They're not. There's actually more scholarship money provided to non-athletes than to athletes. Uh, but nobody says, hey, wait a minute, you know, you, you science student on full scholarship, you shouldn't be allowed to make money while you're in school. Uh, you're paid already. You know, it's an absurd notion when you really think of it that way. Uh, but we've lived under this sort of uh, regime for a long time where uh, the schools have colluded to limit only one class of person while at the same time making money off that class. And and we've accepted it right. and it's no longer acceptable. So I like I don't I don't feel like. Uh, like I needed to be grateful for my scholarship any more than any student was grateful for the opportunities that they had. Um, I, you know, the, every student on scholarship has earned it. 
whether it's a uh, an athletic scholarship, a music scholarship, uh, English, journalism, you name it. They've all earned it. Uh, so it's not you're not getting anything for free. But why should athletes be restricted? Right. Uh, that's what I don't get. And uh, and I, I get honestly, I get a little annoyed by, you know, people, at, you know, saying that, oh, well, I, you know, I, I would have loved to have had a scholarship. Well, why didn't you get one then? You you were <laughs> right. you had the opportunity sure. to get it just like everybody else. Sure. And uh, what you're really saying is, is I didn't have it. Therefore, you shouldn't have. It. Right. Right. And and that that's that's profoundly wrong. Yeah. L- last big picture thing on on kind of college athletics, and we'll get to the final four. Jay, um, I think you. I think I've even heard you say this. You know, college basketball needs to be more inclusive than exclusive. And we, we and by we, I mean the caretakers and lovers of the game of college basketball. We got to make it an attractive situation for players to want to come and 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 stay. But here's kind of my my big thought. And I want to bounce it off you. I actually think I think the biggest issue plaguing college basketball is continuity. I think the constant roster turnover is not good. I think it takes a toll on fan interest. I think it takes a toll on the overall quality of the sport. And for the record, Jay, like I think I think continuity is an issue in the NBA. Like when stars are changing teams every year, it's not good. And I feel like I can be pro player power and and mobility, but also acknowledge like, hey, there are some some ramifications and issues that come with that. So I guess my question to you is like, how can we make college basketball an attractive place for players to come stay for more than a year and then obviously the transfer thing like how do we kind of get our arms around that well i don't know that we need to do either um you know for me the idea is like for for colleges and universities if you believe in education why would we put up barriers for athletes to be in school like if we really believe that the best place for an athlete to be is in school to benefit from not only the the classroom education and the socialization of being at school, but to to establish a relationship with an institution of higher learning that's going to last for the rest of your life. Why would we say, well, hey, if you don't want to if you don't want to play by our rules, then don't come at all. Uh, the G League's open to you. Go to Europe. I'll, that to me it, it sounds so elitist and stupid. I can't imagine it. Um, and, and is this all because we want to control every dollar? I, it can't be that. It, it, we would never say that to a non-athlete. Right. And, and we don't say it to a non-athlete. And I don't understand why, if we really think that, that education is such a great thing. And I happen, I think you and I share that belief that it's the best thing for a, for a, a young adult. And these are adults. Like we, we fall all over ourselves to call them kids when uh, uh, a number of, of these athletes have their own children. They're right. adults. Right. And, and, and by the way, it's called not to you, but, uh, people who, who insist on infantilizing the players by calling them kids. Um, uh, they, they call it men's basketball and women's basketball. It's not called, you know, it's not boys and girls basketball, but, uh, like w- w- what was the harm in having Zion Williamson there? If he wants to, if he wants to leave, he's established a relationship with a, uh, an institution. He's more likely to come back. That's a good thing. And then a number of these players have given so much money to their universities that were quote one and done, whether it's Kevin Love or Kevin Durant or Carmelo Anthony have given millions upon millions of dollars to their schools. How, how can we consider that to be a bad thing? Um, but, but, you know, on the transfer side now, interest and all that stuff. Um, you know, I don't think interest is down because of transfers. Um, in, in fact, I, I, I don't think that's, that's even close. Like the NBA has never been more popular than it is now. And, and college basketball, there's never been more eyeballs on it than there is now. Ratings are higher. Ratings are, are continuing to grow. 
Um, now some people say that our audience is older and all that, and that may not last forever. I don't know the answer to that, but we can on one hand tell the players, Hey, if you don't, you know, if you don't want to play by our rules, then go pro. Right. And so we're willing to kick them out the door, but, but transferring is the problem. Um, I, I don't think it's that way. I, I mean, to me, if you want a player to stay, then provide them with the incentive to stay. Um, one, if they're making money, they'll stay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but two, you know, if, if you're saying, I don't buy these coaches that say, well, the players leave at the first bit of adversity, <laughs> like really? So that's what, what, why don't yeah. you make the case to the player? So, so the player should be bound by a decision they make in high school when they have no college experience, but after having college experience and being through it, they know it's not for them and they want to leave. Right. Then they're an idiot. So they're smart out of high school when they pick me, the coach, (laughs) when they don't know anything about me. But after being around me for a year and they want to leave, then they're an idiot with too many people in their ear. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Right. And uh, and my thing is, hey, if we're not going to pay them, we have no say in what they do. Sure. If you're going to pay them, if you're going to pay them, sign them to a contract, then you got a, a leg to stand on. But but I, I don't I don't you know, really what we're saying in in uh, it really comes down to this, Nick, if we're going to go back to this year in residence nonsense and, and, and you know, make them sit out a year, what we're really saying is uh, uh, the only way to, to make them stay is to make it too restrictive for them to leave. And and how can we have a year in residence when they transfer from school to school when there's no year in residence when they come to college in the first place? So we're saying that they need to have a year to acclimate themselves to their new school where they didn't need a year when they came from high school to college. That, that's a tough one. Right. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, tons of great points. I always love getting your thoughts on this. This is great. Um, okay. Let's enough of that stuff. We'll get, let's get some hoops here, Jay. Uh, final four set Gonzaga, UCLA, Houston, and Baylor. Obviously the big story all season long has been Gonzaga. And so let's start there. I mean, 30 and 0. Uh, they're not just chasing a title. They're chasing history. They're chasing sports immortality. For me, Jay, when I, when I turn on the tape and when I watch them play, it's the passing that impresses me the most. Like, they're maybe one of the best passing teams I've seen in a long, long time. When, when you sit down and you watch them play, what, what jumps off the screen to you the most? Best passing and cutting team I've seen in my time in basketball and the highest IQ uh, collective that I've seen. Um, and, and look, the easy thing to say is they're really well coached and they are well coached, but there are a bunch of coaches that can, that can conceptually come up with how Gonzaga plays, uh, the players can't execute it. Uh, these guys have multiple pros that have an understanding of the game that is next level. And, uh, and that's why they're able to, to run the offense they do without, um, having to run, they don't run set plays or continuity. Uh, they read and react to what they see. They have certain principles, but some of their vertical cuts, their, their cutting is, is amazing. Mm-hmm. And as you know, they get more layups than, than anybody and maybe more layups than any team that's ever played. They, they, they score 50 points in the paint, and it's not because they throw the ball into some behemoth center that just dunks it. Uh, they get it, and they did it to USC. Like th- These numbers amazed me. So USC is a good defensive team. Uh, USC gives up 24 points in the paint per game on average. And the high that they gave up this year was 36. Gonzaga had 32 at halftime <laughs> at halftime. Yeah. And, and, you know, they played both man and zone USC did and Gonzaga cut them up yeah. in their zone. Absolutely cut them up. 
and uh, and got layup after layup after layup. So USC, best shot blocking team in the country, 5.3 blocks a game. Uh, their their block percentage was really high too. It wasn't the highest in the country, but it was in the in the top uh, ten. And uh, they blocked zero of Gonzaga's shots. Zero. Um, th- th- that team is legit. Yeah. And and like like we all kind of thought, I, I believe that that Gonzaga and Baylor were the two best teams, and then Michigan, healthy, had risen to that level. Um, you know, we're never going to know because Isaiah Livers didn't play in the tournament or or the Big Ten tournament. But uh, I think we're about to get the game that everybody said they wanted in the final, uh, Gonzaga-Baylor. And if we get that, that, that'll test the old ratings theory. I think it'll be the highest rated game we've had in a long time. Yeah, that'll be – I mean, because that's – yeah, just like I said, it feels like it's been a crash course for, for those two teams to meet with each other. Um, you know, you brought up UCLA at the top of our conversation – and in a lot of ways, they kind of embody what the essence of the tournament is all about, where it's like, hey, no matter what, when March comes, you got hope and an opportunity to make a run. I mean, they had lost four in a row heading into the tournament. They come through the first four, and now they're in the final four. And it's not it, – it, I was kind of lukewarm on Mick Cronin to UCLA, not because I didn't think Mick Cronin can coach. He can definitely coach. I just wasn't sure about the fit. Like, his teams at Cincinnati were kind of grind you out, out-athlete you, not a ton of skill, win 54-51 to 51. And I wasn't sure how that would fit out West, but man, has he done an amazing job this year. Where What was it, Jay? They lost their five-star point guard to the G Leagues before the season started. They lost another player to injury who was arguably their best player. They lost another guy to personal reasons. And here they are in the Final Four. Like, Mick Cronin's done a heck of a job this season. Yeah, they lost Station next to the G League. Uh, Chris Smith got injured. He was their best player last year. And then Jalen Hill left the team. So... Uh, yeah, they're down three guys that that arguably would have been starters uh, for them. And uh, and you know, look, I, I I think Mick is a great coach. I've I've known him forever since he I used to do his games when he was at Murray State, and uh, uh, he's been around a, a long time, and he's always done a great job. Um, I think everybody was was interested to see if if the fit would work out at UCLA because not a lot of things have worked out there. Even right. Ben Hallen, right. like ben, when Ben Hallen got fired, I remember getting in arguments with different people on the air about, uh, you know, they needed to get rid of Hallen. I'm going, Hallen took him to three straight final fours. Like you think anybody's going to do better than that in, in the short run, like Steve Alford's going to do better. He's not going to do better than that. Right. You know, maybe, maybe he will, maybe he'll do as well, but you're not going to do better. And, uh, and I don't know what now, if UCLA had missed the tournament this year, which they almost did, I don't know what what UCLA fans would be saying right now. Uh, I have no idea. They're happy right now, but but they are getting. They got fifty one forty nine against uh, <laughs> against, you know, Michigan. against Michigan, yeah. <laughs> and and they loved it because they won. Yep. I don't know if they'll love it long term out there. We'll see. Yeah. But but Mick's a great coach. But how about this, Nick? So so UCLA, um, their last two games, they 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 haven't shot forty percent. They've won them both against uh, Alabama and Michigan not 40%. Jeez. And their opponents in those two games are a combined 17 of 36 from the free throw line. So the, the UCLA's free throw defense has been magnificent. <laughs> like Mick's going to be given clinics on this is a way to, this is a way to keep free throw percentages down of your opponents. Um, you know, if, if those teams make free throws, we're not talking about this. Sure. And sure. Uh, I mean, it's, it's so crazy how this stuff goes. But when you, you know, when you get to the final four, like I just don't give them, I don't give them much of a chance at all against Gonzaga. I, I, you're certainly not going to score 51 and beat them. That ain't going to happen. 
Right. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if they can if they can hang with them. I, I don't see it. But uh, look, we've been surprised before. All right, let's take a quick break from the podcast to talk about White Castle Roofing. You know, one of the best decisions I've made was calling White Castle Roofing when my roof had some hail damage back in the day to my old house in Omaha. I needed experts. I needed people I can trust. That's White Castle. White Castle Roofing made the entire process so easy and so smooth, and they did a great job. They communicate every step of the way in their crews. They're knowledgeable. They care about the details, and cleanup is a top priority. So if you need experts, you can trust White House Roofing is the answer. In fact, I'm dealing with a leak in my roof in my new house, and you know who I called immediately? Of course, White Castle. Ben from White Castle came to the house last week, took a look at things, and we already got the ball rolling on what to do next. When it comes to your roof, you need people you can trust, and trust me, you can trust the good people at White Castle. Check them out, whitecastleroofing.com. White Castle Roofing, built with trust, proven by time and the nick bob podcast is brought to you by my friends at runza there is nothing better than hearing from an old high school football teammate like my former offensive lineman brett oltman on twitter where he went out and he tried the reuben runza and loved it that's what i'm talking about baby and my dad my father he got his reuben runza game right he gave it two thumbs up again reuben runza is available at all runza locations it's everything you love about a reuben wrapped up inside the greatness of a runza sandwich so make sure you stop out to runza try the brand new reuben runza and speaking of runzas don't forget that every runza is made to order meaning you can add anything in the kitchen within reason to add on a runza since everyone starts as an original runza you can add pickles or ketchup or ranch whatever it is up to you so whether you get a reuben runza or get creative and add something to an original Runza, you know it's going to be delicious. So head out to Runza today, and while you're there, tell them your buddy, your pal, Nick Ba sent you. And the Nick Ba Podcast is brought to you by my friends at Pella Windows and Door. You know, when it's time to get a new set of windows or a new door, you got to go with Pella. Why? Because they can provide window and door solutions to any home. They can turn your window and door modeling dreams into a reality. And... Because the people are great. Vince and Steve and Clint and Brian, the whole gang, they are all fantastic. And you know what else is fantastic? Knowing that you're going to be working with Pella and only Pella the entire time. Do you realize that when you work with some other window companies, all of a sudden questions pop up like who's going to install it? Who's going to pre-finish it? Who's doing that? And before you know it, you're working with like four or five different people. Oh, my God. Ugh. You want the convenience and simplicity of working with one company, not three or four. That is Pella. Check them out on the web, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. Back to the podcast. You know, with Houston, Jay, it's uh, the, one of the things that's interesting to me is the connection between Kelvin Sampson and Quentin Grimes, where it's like, okay, you got both guys were at Blue Bloods. Both didn't work out for obviously vastly different reasons with Sampson at IU and then, uh, then Quentin Grimes, McDonald's All-American at Kansas. And then both have kind of had to remake themselves at Houston together, and here they are at the Final Four. I just I love that angle of those two guys and their journey. What what do you like most about this this Houston journey to get to the Final Four? Well, it's a it's a different kind of uh, kind of style of play. Like yep. I've known Kelvin forever too, and you have as well. But Kelvin, when he was at uh, Washington State and in uh, Oklahoma, you know they were very gritty and have remained so. And he's going to do it on the glass. And I remember when I, I was out visiting him when he was at Oklahoma. This was probably 2001, 2000. So he had those, maybe 2002, maybe it was his final four year. I don't remember. But they had Hollis Price mm-hmm. and Quantus White, all those guys. And uh, and I'm watching practice, and they, they they did this thing called the bubble drill, where they had lids on the baskets, the the ones that are, you oh, know, yeah. it looks like a bubble that yeah. goes over so it'll come off on different angles. 
And, and the drill was basically, they played five on five and you got, you scored points by how many rebounds you grabbed, whether it's a defensive rebound, offensive rebound or extra points. And they just played regular five on five, ran their regular offense and took their normal shots. But every shot literally was a missed shot. And, uh, and they just sort of, their culture was pursuing the ball. And, uh, and I'm sure they still do it. I haven't really talked to Kelvin about that much, but if that, that drill made a big impact on me, you know, sort of the way they went about it, there was no out of bounds line when there was a, a loose ball, they had to go dive on it wherever it went. And, uh, and so I think how the game's officiated, uh, and that goes for UCLA too. If, if the, if the officials allow overt physicality and they allow them to clutch and grab, then both Houston and UCLA have a chance. I think, I mean, Houston's got a better chance to win their game than UCLA has a chance to win its game. But, uh, but a lot's going to be determined by the, the, the whistle. If, if the referees, you know, I think freedom of movement is on life support. Uh, (laughs) I don't think we've seen much of it uh, in the tournament uh, unless the, the, the players, unless the teams, you know, uh, don't play that way at all. And, and they're, they're willing to allow cutters, but you know, Houston doesn't allow cutters and, uh, and you know, they're either going to get fouls called on them or not. Heck there was a play, you know, in the UCLA Michigan game, it, it sort of made me laugh. Like Hunter Dickinson got two calls on moving screens. And in the second half, he's trying to get to a screen and, and his defender was basically, uh, holding him to get to the screen and you're going, okay, so if he moves when he sets a screen, it's a foul, <laughs> right? but he gets tackled on his way to set a screen and that's not a foul. Yeah. And you're going, this, this isn't the way the game's supposed to, no. to be. Um, and so it depends on the officiating, frankly. Yeah. I mean, it's a, you're right. It's going to be a big, big factor for, for both of them. And you know, a couple more things, Jay, we'll let you run here with, with Baylor, uh, you know, I'm with, you know, the, the, they were kind of perception wise, kind of right there with Gonzaga for portions of the season early. Then they kind of, then they go on COVID pause. It takes a bit for them to get their groove back, but they're, they feel like they're back and rolling now. And man, in 2021, Baylor has a lot of the ingredients that you want in a basketball team. They got great three point shooting, multiple ball handlers. They got interchangeable defensive parts where they can switch a lot of screens, blow up your stuff. What, what stands out to you when you look at Baylor and their personnel and makeup? They've got multiple guys that can get their own shot at the end of a clock. They operate at the end of a shot clock as well as any team out there. And when they came back from their COVID pause, that was a three-week pause where they had at least eight guys that actually had the virus and it knocked them sideways. So it took them a while. I did their Kansas game, and you could see just in timeouts, you know, they were having a hard time kind of breathing. Right. And, uh, and so it was pretty clear they weren't the same team. You don't want to take anything away from Kansas. But this wasn't a vintage Kansas team, and Kansas beat them pretty good. And I think it was COVID related, but, um, uh, and then they've got Davion Mitchell, who is, uh, I think the most indispensable player in the tournament. He's got another gear that Ooh. other players just don't have. Oh. And then defensively, uh, he, he's, he's, a. I haven't seen many on ball defenders that can guard the way he can guard the way he reassumes pressure. You can't get past him. He's stronger than hell. I mean, he single-handedly took apart, uh, Villanova in the second half of that game. Villanova never turns it over. They had nine turnovers in the second half and, and live ball turnovers, which is, you know, they, they hardly ever have. And it was, it was uh, primarily Davion Mitchell that, uh, that did that to him. So I think you take him out when he was in foul trouble um, in the, in the regional final against Arkansas, that was the only time Arkansas was with them uh, when he was in the game and, and really playing, 
uh, Arkansas couldn't hang with them at all. Uh, and I, I think that's, I think those two things are directly related. <laughs> I agree. I'm, I'm totally with you. I just, yeah, Mitchell's just, Mitchell blows me away every time I watch him play. Do you, I mean, so it sounds like we're going to get Gonzaga Baylor, aren't we? Is that what we think's happening on Monday night? I think so. Uh, I don't think Baylor will allow um, sort of the, the offensive rebounding, although, although uh, Houston does it to everybody. Yeah, they do. Um, but, Dejan Giroux, as good as he is defensively, like they're not going to be able to bully um, uh, Baylor, and they they bullied they bullied Oregon State. There was one thing though that Oregon State did that didn't make any sense to me. So Oregon State was getting the hell beat out of them in the first half. They go into halftime, they come out, they play that one three one, and they got uh, Houston to stand around and yeah. just throw the ball back and forth at the top, and they never really attacked along the baseline. Dribble penetration was next to nothing. And they tied the game at 55. And I remember there was a timeout. And out of the timeout, uh, uh, Oregon State went man. And I was going, why are they doing that? Like, right. Houston hadn't scored right. on them in the 1-3-1. And they wind, up, they wind up getting a better shot. They rebounded it and kicked it out to Quentin Grimes, uh, yeah. who got a three. Right. And then and then all of a sudden you're going, all right, they feel better about themselves now. Right. And they then they got another one. And, and you're going, I, you know, look, Wayne Tinkle's a great coach, but I just didn't understand that. I didn't either. And I, I, I would have loved to have seen if they would have played that one, three, one, if Oregon state could have pulled that one out. Cause I think, I think they would have had a, a really good chance if they would have stayed in it. Right. Cause I get that, you know, obviously the hardest thing to do in a zones rebound defensively, but I mean, that was going to be hard regardless of what defense you were in and you were doing okay up until that point. So I, it's just weird that maybe that would have crept into his mind at that point. But I was, I was totally with you. I mean, usually the school of thought is from a coaching standpoint is if you throw a zone at somebody, you know, make them, make them kind of bust you out of it before you, you take yourself out of it. But yeah, it'd have been interesting. Cause that, that game felt like uh like it was the Grimes three swung things late off of that. I'm totally with you. Uh, yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, when, when, uh, when you're having your rhythm disrupted, uh, that, that, that's debilitating. And I thought Houston was getting to a point where they were going to start puckering up a little bit. Right. And to their credit, they, they, they won the game making big plays and Grimes had two of those with those, those two threes that he hit. Um, but, uh, uh, I, I just, I was, I, I remember thinking, okay, that may be the game there, that, right. that one decision. And that, that's how, you know, that's how fragile the whole thing can be when you're, when you're the underdog. Okay. So Baylor Gonzaga, let's just, let's hypothetically say that that's what, what we get here, Jay. I, I'd pick Gonzaga. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised to see Baylor win that game if they do see each other. I just want to see, I mean, it's, you know, it's been well-documented to get where, Gonzaga's only played in one game all season that's been decided by single digits, and it was West Virginia back on December second. I just want to see how I want to see what this Gonzaga team looks like when they're when when it's you know it's five minutes left, four minutes left, and it's a you know it's a two point game because I want to see just how good they can be in that that spot. I mean, would you would you you wouldn't be surprised if Baylor would win if we got that, would you? I wouldn't be surprised. I would certainly favor Gonzaga. Yep. You know, that game you're talking about, their only single-digit win was uh, West Virginia. I did that game, and Jalen Suggs was hurt. Uh, he got hurt early in the game and sat out for a, right. a, a good period of time. That was when Andrew Demhart came in. I think he had 19 points, and uh, and they wound up, you know, they wound up winning. I can't remember by eight or seven, whatever it was. But uh, when that's your closest game, you know, I think the I think in, in years past, you'd say, OK, well, well, who knows what they'll do down the stretch if they have a lot of game pressure on them. I know one thing, or at least I believe it, 
Gonzaga may lose, but they're not going to choke and they're not going to be scared. They're not built that way. Um, and, and, you know, like that USC game, I think anybody who thought that they Gosh. could be slowed down in that way, they, they can't be. Um, Baylor's going to have to score 85 points uh, or more to have a chance to win that game because that game is not going to be decided in the 60s. I know that. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, But Baylor's got real, as you know, real length and and real athleticism the the one thing they don't do though is they don't score in the post nope like their big guys are all you know drop off guys offensive rebound guys you know rollers and all that stuff um and so i'll be interested to see if drew timmy can hang some fouls on that because uh that dude is so crafty and skilled and smart uh, and talented, uh, he is not going to be worried about, Hey, this guy's longer than me. He can block my shot. Evan Mobley would have bothered him if that were the case. Nothing bothers that guy. You know, he's averaging, uh, seven, I think it's seven games now against power five teams this year. It's not like they were playing the the bottom of any conference. They're playing, you know, the best power five teams. He's averaging 28 a game. Sheesh. I mean, yeah, it, any narrative out there, they're like, well, I mean, what would they do if they had to play a full schedule? I mean, come on. I mean, what they, I'm watching. To me, it was the, the Oklahoma game blew me away where it felt like Oklahoma in that second round game was like, man, Oklahoma's checking a lot of the boxes. They're playing pretty good, and they're down 10 or 12 at half. And you just kind of sit there. Same thing even with the Creighton game where it was, you know, felt like Creighton was, you know, Zagorowski was making shots, and then you blink and you're down 17 points. And it's just – it's they score with such ease. It just to be, you know, Baylor. I just look at Baylor defensively from a personnel standpoint. I just don't know how gimmicky it can get with. Oh, we're going to double this post or double this ball screen. You probably got to be able to mano a mano just guard individually when you're when you're playing Gonzaga. And I think Baylor's probably got the best defensive personnel. They may not be the best half court defense, but I think they got the best defensive personnel. So I just, I man, would that be a fun matchup if we got to see it? I think so. I think you're, I, I agree with everything you, you know, you just said, I, I think you're going to have to, you're going to have to score uh, really efficiently on the offensive end to keep pressure on them. You're not going to get stop after stop after stop. You might get, you're going to get some, but the way I look at it, Nick is, is I, I'm, I get like, like I'm mesmerized by the quality of shot that they consistently get. So over time, like you were talking about the Oklahoma game, Gonzaga just got better shots every time down than Oklahoma got. And, and you could, you go, okay, Oklahoma's playing well, but they're going to have to, they're going to have to keep making these difficult shots to stay in this game. And they're not going to be able to do it. It's, it's like if you had a, a match play, like a golf match and one player hits the ball inside of five feet all the time. And the other guy's got to make 15 footers. Like right. he's going to lose ultimately right. the five footers going to win. And, you know, consistent five-footers are going to beat 15-footers every time. Yeah. And that's what they do. They get layups. They get easier shots. And uh, and they put themselves in a position to be successful more than any other team. And it's just uh, – it's I think it's beautiful to watch. It is. Um, I, I've just – I've had a blast watching those guys. Yeah. I mean, and this may sound stupid, Jay, but one one of the other reasons you got to score against Gonzaga is it also – then it gives you the best chance to get stops because yep. you're not constantly in defensive transition situations because then you're going to get crushed. I mean, they are unbelievable in transition. Yeah, and and they create whether it's a make or a miss, they get it out quickly and get it up court. And heck, in the USC game, the the first you know their first uh, play of the game, 
they switch. Uh, uh, Drew Timmy switches out on on a on Taj Eadie and took the ball from him. <laughs> right, right. Like he knocked the ball away from a point guard and took it the other way. And you're going, if Uh-oh. the center, the opposing center, <laughs> is stealing the ball from your point guard, what chance do you have? Probably not a uh, lot. Probably that not. was incredible. That was, that was just incredible. incredible. Oh man, I hope we I hope we get to see it. I mean, uh, obviously, I. I I hope we get just good games, but it'd be fun to get uh, Baylor and Gonzaga. Jay Billis, ESPN. Jay, kept you way longer than I said I would, man. You know, I appreciate you. Uh, hope all is well, and I, I, I thank you for coming on my pod again, man. Always a pleasure, brother. Thanks for having me. You got it, Jay. All right, my thanks to Pella. If you're thinking about a new window or a new door, now is the time. Check them out online on the web at PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And uh, my thanks to my good friends at Rumza. Best fries on the planet. Great burgers. Cheese runs are delicious. The food is simply fantastic. Runza makes it all better. A Huda Media Production.